Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. Let's pray together. God, you are faithful as we've just sung. You've never left us alone for any minute. And yet, God, in our life in this moment, we question that sometimes. We have questions about where you are and why uh, this virus continues on, why people continue to pass, and why isolation uh, grips us. And God, we need your presence. We ask and request for you to be present with us. Maybe today we need to be reminded that that is true. And what we more need to be reminded of is that we need to be aware to your presence that is always here. I pray this morning that you would pour through me the gift of preaching. So that Christ would be formed in our hearts. So we might see Christ in everything around us. We might see your presence and feel it in our lives. I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. We are living in a dangerous time because of a tension between two realities. There's a virus that has killed nearly 170,000 people just in America alone this year. But that truth comes into tension with another truth. Isolation is one of the great health threats of our time. And its ripple effects on our social isolation uh, during this time will be felt for months and for years to come. And so it's dangerous, uh, this disease that keeps us separated from one another, but it's actually that separation from one another that also is dangerous to us. I've preached on the danger of isolation before, about the importance of community in our small groups and in our church community. And if you remember anything from one of those sermons about community over the last two years that I've preached, it may just be this line. It's better to eat Twinkies together than to eat broccoli alone. I don't think I've ever had more posts of a quote for my sermon than that one a few years ago. Now, in that sermon, I shared with you the statistics about the risk of isolation. I shared with you that former Surgeon General of the United States Uh, Vivek Murthy said the most prevalent health issue of our time is isolation, even greater than than cancer, heart disease, or obesity. And that was prior to the pandemic we're living through right now. People with bad health habits, but strong social ties, live significantly longer than people who have great health habits, but who live in isolation. And while that science may be new, The wisdom isn't. The Bible narrates this necessity for human community throughout its pages. In fact, the first problem we come across in the Bible is a problem having to do with isolation, a feeling separate of not having someone to do life with. If you have your Bibles this morning or if you're on the uh, app this morning and paying attention to the slides, open there if you would now. I want to begin in Genesis chapter 3. 
Uh, in this story, Adam uh, is lonely. And uh, God says, it's not good that uh, he's alone. But after Eve uh, and, and him eat the forbidden fruit, I want you to notice what their first instinct is, even after they found each other and found the community that's there among them. Genesis 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. See, their sin results in isolation. They hide from God. And their isolation is, uh, isolation though is not just a result of sin. We see it further as they're separate, separate from the Garden of Eden. They have to go on and find their way, Adam and Eve and their family and descendants. So they feel this isolation, but it's more than just sin that isolates us, that makes us feel alone. Sometimes isolation is what we feel as a result of unjust suffering that happens in our lives. Perhaps you remember the scene where Jesus is on the cross. This is in Matthew chapter 27 that I'm reading from. And as Jesus hangs on the cross, you remember the cry that he cries out to God. There are several things he says on the cross, but this one in particular applies to the message this morning. Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus on the cross felt abandoned by God when searching for words to cry out to God from Scripture. He goes all the way back to Psalm 22, the words of David that he brings back and says, I feel abandoned. Where are you, God? It's also the feeling the Israelites had in the wilderness after God had rescued them from Egypt. They're finally free in this story, but they aren't sure exactly how they're going to survive in the desert without water. So they grumble and they complain to Moses. Listen to what they say. This is in the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. From the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children, live, uh, children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Isolation is a constant for the people of God. Sometimes as a result of sin, sometimes as a result of suffering, and sometimes as the circumstances around them deem it. And the question they ask in the wilderness is, is the Lord among us or not? In the middle of this pandemic, is the Lord among us or not? 
how would we even know if the Lord is among us or not? Every so often I hear people tell stories of God's miraculous intervention in their lives. Healings, miracles, ways that God comes through. And often in that situation, I'll hear people tell their story of what God's done, and they'll say, and then God showed up. That's always moving to hear about God's involvement in people's lives. But sometimes when I hear that phrase, I have one of those, wait, what moments after hearing a story like that? If God showed up, then prior to that, was God somewhere else? And if God was somewhere else, and then God came here for that person at that moment, then why doesn't God show up for all the other people in all those other moments who could have used him showing up? I mean, I've prayed the prayer before. God, be with them as they walk through this difficult time. And we sing songs requesting that God would come near to us. Nearer, oh, nearer, we sing. But if we pay attention to those words, it begs a question. Is God... Somewhere else far off, most of the time, and he only sometimes chooses to come to this world from time to time to do God sorts of things? Because if that's the case, then it can easily lead people to believe that we are just fine and capable of going on without God until we aren't. We don't need to pray to God until we need to pray for God. We don't need God to show up until we need God to show up. So what does the Bible really have to say about that? Is God somewhere else just choosing to show up on occasion when we call for him and he decides to do so? Or is God present all of the time? The same question the Israelites asked in Exodus chapter 17. Is the Lord among us or not? I think it's a really good question. Now, there are plenty of people in the Bible who feel that God is far away from them. The Psalms are full of people who write prayers to God, who sing songs to God, requesting God to come who is far away from them. And then God responds to the pleas of his people to intervene. But the continual testimony of Scripture is that God is close, even when when it seems like he's far off. The question isn't really if God is present. The real question is, do we have eyes to see the presence of God that is among us? Because God does not abandon his people. And that's the second anchor that I want you to be certain will hold you in the midst of the storm that we are going through in the series called Anchored. Last week we talked about how God loves us. That's an anchor you can depend on. The second anchor is this. God is with you and desires relationship with you. He is not far off. He is with you. Is the Lord among us or not? The answer is yes. Yes, God is among us. From the beginning of of the Bible, we read about a God who continually pursues relationship with us, with his people. When Adam's hiding in the garden, it's God who goes trying to find him in the cool of the day. When Israel is enslaved in Egypt, God is the one who goes to them, who hears their cry and frees them from slavery. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, according to at least The Bible, the way the book is written, it seems like God's absent. It's really not a mention of God's presence. It's been about 400 years since there's been any contact, at least that Scripture tells us about, between God and God's people. But by the end of the book of Exodus, things have changed quite a bit. In fact, nearly a third of the book of Exodus, the part that we don't usually read as often, is devoted to instructing the Israelites about how they are to construct 
something called a tabernacle, a glorified tent of sorts. Twelve chapters in the book of Exodus are devoted to instructions about the Ark of the Covenant, lampstands, priestly garments, ephods of all things, curtains, and altars. In fact, they kind of repeat these instructions twice through these 12 chapters. So my question is, why devote that much time in the book of Exodus, which is one of the best stories in the Bible, to these instructions about how to create a temple and priestly garments and all these sacrificial rules? And here's why I think this is such a big deal, why it takes up so much space in the book of Exodus. Because Exodus begins with Israel building temples. But it's not temples to their God, it's temples to foreign gods. And yet Exodus ends with Israel being invited to construct the tabernacle, which will be the very place where God will be present. Now that's quite a shift in this book. From being enslaved to build temples for other gods to finally being able to construct a place for your own God. They're constructing God's house. Is God among the Israelites? There is no question where God is at the end of the book of Exodus. The presence of God has come into the Holy of Holies that travels around with them as they enter toward the promised land. This is a remarkable story. Which makes me think, wouldn't it be nice to have a tent where we knew God could be present? Where we knew that God was just right over there. We could build it and know that he's there. Later on in the story, the Israelites are going to build a more permanent structure. Solomon, the son of David, who's the king of Israel, builds a temple for God at that time. And God's presence comes and dwells there as well in the holy of holies of that temple. Yes, the Lord is among his people. It's clear in the tabernacle. It's clear in the temple. But then comes exile. Then comes the time where they disobeyed God and the temple's been destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. And then they question again, is the Lord among us or not? But then the miraculous occurs again. After a period of silence, after a seeming period of God's absence, other than these harsh words of the prophets and hopeful words of the prophets that tell them about a day to come, finally this promised Messiah comes in the person of Jesus Christ. God chooses to place his very own son Jesus in the belly of a pregnant teenager named Mary. Listen to how John, the Gospel of John, uh, poetically describes Jesus' entrance into the world. In John 1, verse 14, the language here is real interesting, and I want to get into this for just a moment. John 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I like the way the message actually translates this passage says there, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And here's what's really interesting about this verse right here. The Greek word uh, that's translated in the NIV, made his dwelling, is the word skeneo, which is related to the noun skene. And get this, when the Greeks uh, translated the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, into the Greek for the first time, they called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, it's interesting how they translate tabernacle. The Greek word that they use to translate is the word skene. Basically, John is trying to say, you know the project God has been involved in from the very beginning? He wants relationship with his people. You remember how he built the tabernacle. You remember how the temple was constructed to house his presence. This time, 
God is tabernacling with his people once again. He's making a dwelling, but it is not in a temple. It is not in a tent. Now it is in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's not the last time that this word skene for tabernacle shows up. Shows up in one of the last chapters in scripture. A promise about a day to come. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4. Listen to these words that John gives us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first time, and the, uh, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's skene, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the promise of God's future. The presence that has always been there that sometimes they've been aware of and other times they've wondered, is God really among us or not? The promise of the days to come is that the same presence that was there in the tabernacle, the skene, the same presence that was there in the temple, the same presence that came to live among them in Jesus Christ is promised to dwell uh, together with us in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the vision of tabernacling that God gives to his people. Which brings me back to that original story we read in Exodus 17. Story about the rock and the water and the grumbling uh, Israelites. The Israelites are complaining and they're saying, is the Lord among us or not? In Exodus 17, the people are grumbling and complaining because they they don't trust that God is going to be able to provide for them, which is understandable. I think God understands their complaint and their question because for 400 years, where was God? Finally, God shows up in a miraculous way through the ten plagues. Then God uh, allows them passage through the Red Sea by parting the waters and allowing them to pass through on dry ground. But a trusting relationship with God is going to take more than uh, 11 miracles to happen. It's going to take time for God to show up again and again. And God understands that. God understands when we ask the same question. God, are you anywhere? Are you hearing us? Are you active? Are you doing anything? God, God I think, understands our doubts. When they get thirsty, they get angry with Moses. They demand to know, why have you brought us out of Egypt? At least we had food on the table and water to drink there. And so God tells Moses, I want you to find a rock at Horeb. I want you to strike that rock when it comes time. Water's going to come out of the rock. So Moses does exactly what God asks, and sure enough, water comes out of the rock. What an odd story. And what an odd rock. The story goes on. They continue their journey. There are more obstacles in the way. God is patient with them. Moses grows to trust, and so does the people over time. But the rock, we don't hear any more about the rock until a thousand years later. In a letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul goes back to that story all the way back in Exodus and brings up and tells us something that Exodus story never really did. It's a mysterious passage, but I think it's relevant for us in this time. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same 
spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ? Jesus? Jesus was the rock. Is that what you're telling us, Paul? How exactly is that? Christ is mentioned nowhere in the Exodus story. Moses is told to strike a rock. Water is provided from that rock. And the people have something to drink. Story over. Paul, however, reads another story into that story. Insisting that Christ was present in that moment. That Christ was providing water they needed to survive. That Jesus was giving, was quenching, was sustaining. Jesus was, as Paul says, the rock. According to Paul, Jesus was there back in that story in Exodus. Without anybody using his name, without anyone saying it was him, without anybody acknowledging just what or precisely who it was. Paul's interpretation that Christ was present in the Exodus raises another important question for us. Where else has Christ been present? When else? With who else? How else? Makes me wonder the same thing in our day. Because Paul finds Jesus there in that rock because Paul finds Christ everywhere. I hope we can shift the question this morning from the Israelites in Exodus 17. I think it's our common question in the midst of times like these. Is the Lord among us or not? God, where are you in the midst of all these times? Are you even hearing my prayers? Are you present? I I hope maybe this message and Paul's reminder could shift our question to a new question. Are our eyes open to see the Lord who just happens to be about everywhere? In the midst of the storm we are facing, it's perfectly fine for time to time to wonder where God is at. Perfectly fine to ask questions to God and express our true feelings. God already knows them anyway. And so I think it's important that we pray, that we let out our concerns, our prayers, our our requests to Him. But the consistent promise of Scripture is that the Lord is present among His people. You can count on that. God is present even in the midst of this. The problem is not God's presence. The problem is our awareness. So I want to close this morning by praying that God would open our eyes to see those rocks around us that may be hiding Christ in our presence. That God would open our eyes that the Holy Spirit, that now is not uh, dwelling some kind of tent or temple, we know now dwells in our own tent, our own body, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray now as we close our time in the Word this morning. Father, it's obvious in the Exodus story that the people of God, the Israelites, they, they have questions about your presence and your activity in their lives. And God, we like them, have questions in this time. In the midst of the storm, we want to wake you up from the boat and say, God, uh, Jesus, would you, would you calm the storm? Would you wake up and are you not concerned about what's going on around us? There are times we question your goodness. There are times we question your presence. But like Paul, would you give us eyes to see the rocks around us, the people around us, the circumstances around us that reveal to us that Christ is present in the hands and feet of others through your Holy Spirit, that Christ is present through the provision you give, that Christ is present through the incredible ways that you provide community in times of isolation, that Christ 
is present. So God, would you give us eyes to see like Paul? Would you meet us on the road? Would you meet us this week? And would you blind us if that's what's necessary so that our eyes might be recrafted in a new way to see Jesus as Lord, Savior, and Provider for us all? God, we rest in this truth that you are present among us, that you tabernacle among us, and that you'll do it one more time again in the day to come when the new heavens and the new earth arrive and we are together with you forever. God, we request your presence, but more than that, we request eyes to see and ears to hear and boldness to proclaim it when we see it. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Twitter. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.